Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packer, professional sports fan. And I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And I think he's just earned himself a new title, the coward, because he refuses to play me in one-on-one until September. Jay, okay. explain yourself. I mean, it's it's very simple. It's it's what I said to you on Twitter that for some reason you didn't understand. I had a bachelor party this past weekend. I've got a bachelor party this coming weekend. I've got a wedding the next weekend. I've got a wedding the weekend after that. Sprinkled in there is NBA free agency in early August. Then I'm going to South Carolina with my family. And then that takes us just about to the end of August. All I'm hearing is excuses. You can't you can't make a free an afternoon. What are you doing on Tuesday? Tuesday at five. I mean, all I'm hearing is that Jay King's out of shape. Jay King hasn't hooped in. Uh, Jay King doesn't pan- need to be in shape. Jay King hasn't hooped since the pandemic. Jay King is scared. Jay King needs six weeks to get back into shape nope. to shoot a basketball. Jay, Jay game. King just has an extremely busy schedule through the end of August. Once the end of August arrives. Oh, when my busy schedule starts, when I start law school is when you want to try to catch me at my weakest. Not when I've been out on the blacktop three days a week playing pickup. I'm at my best right now, and you're scared of me. You're ducking me, and it's bullshit. I am in no way scared of you. I have seen you play basketball. I think the banner speaks for itself. I mean, uh, you are – the thing is, you are, like, very much better at basketball than me. Uh, All, like, just – Leaps and bounds better. You played uh, high school basketball and college basketball. Uh, I did not do either. Uh, I, in fact, didn't grow to be six feet until I was 19 years old. So I'm the underdog, but I have more fight. I want it more. Late bloomer. Late bloomer, but you know what? I want it more, and I've been out here playing, and I play tough defense. You know, I mean, I'm the one who shot you down. I'm the one who told them to put on the shot clock. That's crafty. Hold on, dude. Did you actually tell him to put on a shot clock? Yes, Jay. During the middle of the media game, I said, if it happens, turn on I'm that just, shot clock. <laughs> I'm just searching for conspiracy theories. I, I got to find something to believe in. People are still bringing that up. What was that, like three years ago? It was at least two years ago, but that's why you got to live a debt. Like, you got to create a new narrative. I, I've had people talk about me dribbling out the shot clock 
each of the past two days. It happened years ago. Stop, people. Just stop. I think it's a the major... The shot clock on those jokes has expired. I'm a new man. I'm a smart, intelligent hooper. You haven't hooped? Where, where have you been hooping that you've improved? The IQ doesn't go away. Look at Andre Iguodala. Andre Iguodala was gone <laughs> for, like, what, a year and a half? Came back, helped the Heat to the get to the finals, and was in the rotation the entire time. Look at old man Chris Paul and his body betraying him and him having a bunch of turnovers last night. He can have all the IQ in the world, but if you're not in shape, uh, it's not going to be good for you. I think we have to figure out, and I'm going to reach out for the fans here, so anyone listening, watching live on the YouTubes, we need to figure out the stakes because obviously personal pride is on the line, but I feel like we need to make it more interesting. We'll make it, we'll broadcast the whole thing, but I, I, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what I want from you. I like, it would just be a thrill to, to beat you alone and just to like knock you down a peg. So I don't even know what you like, what you want from me, but I'll let the fans write in. Good, good luck. I, I, I wish the best for you. It's I, I know it's going to be tough because I'm going to have to wait, you know, six weeks, start law school. And then maybe we it's, can well, fit into Jay tough. King's it's little schedule. It's going to be tough because you have no skills. You have I a make up for that in pure gumption. And I've been working on my left all pandemic. You know what I did the other day? I came around to pick and I attacked the basket and I was like, whoa, this is wild. Entirely new uh, world for me is the, uh, attacking the rim. Not something I'm no, uh, really used to doing in pickup basketball. Yo, the, the people are on me for my V-necks right now. Jayhawk edits. How many V-necks does Jay wear? A lot of motherfucking V-necks. That's how many V-necks Jay wears. I got <laughs> These are so comfortable that I got them for like four bucks each on, on Amazon. So I loaded up. I loaded up in so many different colors. So, yeah, I wear V-necks a lot. They're comfortable. They're easy. I think they're called Next Level if you want to get some. Next Amazon. level VX, a free yeah. little free plug there from Jay King. All right, we've gotten the nonsense out of the way. We are uh, by name, I guess, a Boston Celtics podcast. There has been some news. I mean, they hired what an assistant coach. You, you're the journalist here. Tell me more about uh, what's going on in the world of the, the Boston Celtics. Yeah, Udoka has come in and kind of shaken up the the coaching staff. Obviously. Um, He's hiring a lot of dudes from Portland, Oregon, like many dudes with Portland, Oregon ties. I like the regional loyalty. It's it's kind of hilarious. Like Danny was from the Portland area and Danny never hired Portland guys like this. But as soon as he steps down, e just comes in and and shows that Portland love. Um, but yeah, so I mean, they're filling out the staff. Aaron Miles, he was with the, the Golden State Warriors as a a G League coach for a while. He's a guy that was highly respected over there. Garrett Jackson is kind of younger. I, I think he's 29 years old, um, but he's he's another guy with a, a college playing background. And so Ime, I, I think he's kind of living, living up to what he promised to do, which is not really base his staff on experience and years coached in the NBA and things like that. He wanted guys with energy. He wanted guys with enthusiasm. And from the looks of it, he wanted guys that he trusts and guys that he's known for a long time. He's known Damon Stoudemire since they were kids. He's known um, Will Hardy like for many years since they were together on the Spurs coaching staff. So he's prioritized guys that, that he knows well and guys that he trusts to do the job and, I think that kind of shows confidence in himself that he's not out there looking for necessarily like the biggest 
assistant coaching name. There are NBA head coaches, former NBA head coaches who are available for hire. We just saw, I think Brian Shaw is headed for the Clippers. Like there are guys like that, that, that do have head coaching experience. He's like, nah, I'll hire guys. I know I'll hire guys who I think will do the job well. And, and I, I trust myself to be able to do this job. So I think uh, it shows some confidence from, from Udoka. Yeah. And I think it's also confidence from Brad Stevens. It's not like surprising that you would bring in a new coach and he can hire his staff, but it's like, there's not a lot of uh, people. Is there anyone going to be remaining from the uh, last year's staff? I know Jamie Young officially left. Um, Scott Morrison leave. Do you have any word on like any remaining assistant coaches? I'm not sure exactly who's coming back, um, but I believe that, most of the top assistants, at least, are are on the way out. Um, obviously, Jerome Allen is gone. Jamie Young is gone. Jay Larinaga is gone. Um, so Udoka kind of came in and, and changed a lot. Um, and obviously, like, I think it's important for a head coach to have control of his coaching staff because you don't want to necessarily be leaning on guys that, that you don't know well. And, and so I, I think, you know, I think it's important – it was important to Brad to give Udoka kind of free reign over, over who he wants to keep around and everything like that. The big question is, is Evan Turner sticking around? Do we have any word on this? I don't think so. Um, Sad. One year running. Didn't even speak to the media once. I know that's devastating. Truly devastating. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but he did put on Instagram that he does not have a job. I think he put that in one of his comments. (laughs) So, so uh, uh, just just a guess based on that, um, I would say from him Evan announcing Turner. he doesn't have a job, uh, you've you've put it together and figured out that he might not have a job with the Celtics moving forward. Yeah, I think that's uh, pretty fair to ponder whether <laughs> whether his employment remains intact. That's fair. All right, I reached out to the the fine people, the listeners out there, tried to get their input on what they wanted to hear us talk about. Uh, got a few things, but this one's from uh, our main man, Eddie, Truth Faustino. The latest news is uh, Bradley Beal is being left behind due to COVID protocols, and they're going to be uh, looking for a replacement for him. Do you feel dumb for having written an entire story about Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal uh, playing together in the Olympics? No, I feel like a genius because <laughs> we got that story out the only time we could. We didn't wait. For it to happen, we didn't wait for the Olympics to come. We didn't wait for them to actually play together on the Olympic team. We published it when we could. That's an old journalist trick. If you're writing about a winning streak, you got to do it before they lose. If you're writing about a guy with a hot hand, you got to do it before he cools down. And so when you're writing about the the two childhood friends who are playing together on Team USA, you've got to do it before one enters COVID protocols and is forced to sit out the Olympics. I actually feel really bad for Bradley Beal because I think it was really important to him. He's been waiting to play on Team USA for years. He's never had the chance before. Finally got to play for the Olympics, was going to have a big role, was started in in the exhibition games, and then this happened. So it's just bad luck. Um, Just one of the many things that has sucked about the the COVID-19 experience. I do feel bad for him, but it's also kind of funny that him and Tatum played two games together, both losses uh, in the exhibition. Uh, Then Tatum sat out the third game in which the U.S. finally got a win. 
like, do you have any explanation for what is going on with this um, Olympic team? Are they just not like trying in these exhibition games? I'm generally confused. I think Greg Popovich is probably right that a lot of the guys just aren't in great shape. Like when the NBA regular season ends, guys take time off. And so it takes a little while to get back into that type of game shape. Uh, And then I think with this team especially, there are a lot of guys that are new to playing for Team USA, new to playing on such a loaded roster. And a lot of guys like Beal, Tatum, Durant, Damian Lillard, um, Zach Levine, you could go down the list, but a lot of these guys are are the clear number one options on, on their own teams. And then you go to the Olympic team and it's totally different. So I, I think guys are just kind of learning how to deal with that. Um, I think like even when Marcus Thompson was saying this on the Point of Contention podcast, and I thought it was smart, like even, even when guys – like LeBron and, and those guys were first starting to play on Team USA, first starting to play with each other. Like there are just some growing pains to that. And so these guys aren't LeBron. Um, I also think it's just like putting Kevin Love on the team. Stupid. You can't waste a roster spot anymore. If you're not head and shoulders better than everyone, you cannot waste a roster spot on a guy who has been mediocre for three years. You just can't. And so that that irritated me, if you can't tell. Um, but well, the bench on that team is just not good. Like they have some deep. Well, like, yeah, it's not. Yeah, names. they will. They will eventually get Devin Booker. They will eventually get Chris Middleton. They will eventually get Drew Who's Holiday. The third one, Drew. Yeah, Drew Holiday. So that changes things. Um, that changes things a lot. Like those are three guys who, first of all, are much more talented than the select team guys that have been pulled up and have actually played a little bit in some of the exhibitions. Um, And then in the case of holiday and Middleton, especially they're just mature vets who know how to play a role. And I think, I think that that matters. That matters a lot in, in the Olympic play when, when guys are just doing different things than they would for their own teams. And then those guys will be in great shape, obviously coming Basically, directly off the NBA Finals, or they'll be exhausted from uh, just having played nonstop, um, basically the entire day. I think we, we can get to the finals later, but is there anything like one thing that I think is interesting just about and why the Team USA might be struggling is just like FIBA basketball is completely different in turn. I think the thing that stood out most to me was just the fouls, where they just don't call, just don't give you the fouls. It felt like, and I think Chris Haynes wrote a whole column about Beal and Tatum and. Uh, do not accuse Dame of doing this, but um, just like looking for calls and just like the contact is way different. Jason Tatum looking for calls. I've never seen. Yeah, that he should be he should be used to it at this point. But um, and everyone just like packs the paint. It's just a different style of basketball. Um, it's one that uh, Patty Mills seems to excel at. Like he's the greatest international. Pl- I'm not going to say great. That's immediately. Patty Mills is the goat. He is very very good, especially either in him or Scola. Basketball. Scola is still playing out there at 45. Um, but that brings us to a next question from uh, John. We'll say stream fellow 333. Who do you think they need as backup point guard? And we get a lot of questions about this, like backup point guard, backup point guard. Do you think that Patty Mills is a, an option there? He says TJ McConnell. I've also seen uh, people throw out Thomas Sadoransky to go into the Gordon Hayward uh, trade exception. 
one, do you think they need to bring in a free agent point guard? And two, who do you think like would be the best fit there? I think they could probably use a, a third point guard no matter what. Like whether they want to start that guy and move Marcus Smart over or bring someone to back up Smart and you know play share the backup minutes with Peyton Pritchard, then finding another ball handler makes sense to me. They they tried to do it last year with Jeff Teague, although that, that didn't go too well. Um so I think that's one of the the needs they'll be looking to address. Patty Mills would make sense. Um I think he's just really, really good at shooting, obviously, and really, really good off the ball, like moving off the ball and and making himself a threat when he doesn't have the rock. And I, I think that's pretty important for the Celtics. They were too stagnant too often last year. And so Mills can be like energy in that sense. Um, he's not obvious. He doesn't obviously have great size and they would sacrifice some of their defensive ability and switchability if, if they do hire or sign a dude like that. I also think there, there's a little bit of overlap from that sense with Peyton Pritchard, like you don't want to go play both them together because they're just too small. And if you're going to prioritize developing Pritchard, which I think, you know, that's not going to be their number one priority, but I do think he showed enough as a rookie that the Celtics at least have him in their plans long-term. Um, then I don't know if that's like the perfect fit next to him and the perfect fit for the team. So, I see the argument for Patty Mills. If you can get a guy like him for cheap, then sure, go ahead, do it, figure out the rest later. Um, but I also think, like, even a guy like that, what were the other names? TJ McConnell, like, when you're talking about those, like th- those are guys that could help with depth, but won't necessarily, like, change the trajectory of your entire roster. Yeah, and at this point, they, like, have their core, and it's it's filling in, I guess, veterans – um, to try and come in and give you some some solid minutes off the bench. I just don't think – like, I think Peyton Pritchard is a very uh, solid backup point guard right now. I know Brad likes to run out, like, three kind of point guard sets, but that's kind of break in case of emergency. I don't know if it's, like, especially necessary. It's also, like, odd for me to talk about because I feel like they can't do anything until they figure out whether or not they're re-signing Fournier. Like, either they re-sign Fournier and become a tax team – And then they have the tax mid-level and that drastically reduces like the kind of players you can bring in or Fournier signs with someone else. And then it kind of opens up a a larger contract. Then you're like that. If you don't have Fournier, then that kind of ball handler score off the bench becomes a lot more important. Uh, Reading on the athletic, uh, John Hollinger was ranking all of the available um, free agents this summer. He ranked Evan Fournier 16, which Surprised me. It seemed a little low, but he guessed that a, a deal around like three years, 45 to $50 million uh, would be what the Celtics offer him. That seems to make, make a lot of sense to me. You kind of bring him around for not that much uh, like uh, expense. He's kind of has that mid-tier contract where it's still kind of very tradable. Um, and if they can get Fournier for that deal, I think that's like definitely something they're going to want to do. I think it's the way, like the way they kind of upgrade their roster or keep their roster talented um, moving forward. Yeah, and I think obviously the the Kemba Walker trade, trimming some salary in that, kind of made it more likely that the Celtics will pay to keep Evan Fournier around. I'm really interested from here to see how heavily Brad Stevens weighs 
creating future cap flexibility because the way the the roster sheet is right now at this current second, the Celtics are basically committed to Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and not much else for two summers from now. And that's a summer when I've said this before on the podcast, Embiid and Jokic can become free agents. Um, Obviously that's a long shot, but there's also a positive to keeping that type of cap flexibility. And so I'm going to, I think the, the Fournier contract and extensions for Robert Williams, possible extensions for Robert Williams and Marcus Smart will be like the first indicators where we can see how much Brad is valuing that. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested in that because that's obviously like a, a point in the future where the Celtics could, if they want to prioritize maintaining that cap space and going after a free agent or, you know, having the flexibility, more flexibility for a trade, something like that. Um, and it would be around the time Tatum and Brown, like really, really should age wise be hitting their primes or getting closer to their primes. And, and it, it'll be really important by then to show them like, okay, we can contend for a title. So I'm interested to see it. And, and Fournier, like, yeah, if you can get him for three years, 45, that seems fair. Um, a, a deal like that wouldn't, like, jeopardize, wouldn't put them too far into this year's luxury tax. Um, but also, like, two years from now, like, will you be able to move that contract if you need to, to, to sign somebody with max space? And that's something the Celtics will have to think about as as they build out a vision for themselves. I think it's very interesting. You mentioned two years from now, just in terms of the the extensions for Marcus Smart and Robert Williams. Like, do you like max cap space is obviously something you want. And I don't think like either of them are, are they would sign extensions because they would get like four years. Like that's the reason why you sign an extension before going to hitting yeah. free agency. It is for that longer term contract. I don't know what like I have it always been awful trying to predict free agency markets and like what numbers people are going to yeah, be looking too. for. Like, I, it just feels like it's, and I'll tell you what front office guys are often very bad at that too. Like the, the people I talk to, to, to try to gauge how much it could be are often way off base. Because you like, you never know what, like, especially if a team's an open, uh, like, free agency you never know what random team's going to come in and be like we have a bunch of cap space this year like let's throw a big number i feel like every free agency it's like the first couple hours like they gave nick batum that much money they gave evan turner that was like it's there's always a ridiculous contract out there and so i think it's even harder to try to figure out what the extension um market is going to be i like just thinking about i love the idea of prying joel Embiid away from the 76ers after Wouldn't he, that uh, be funny fails to get out of the second round for the next two years again, um, just because it's a loser franchise, uh, no talent, Franklin. But do you like, do you not extend Marcus Smart? I think it's just a very, like Robert Williams, I don't think they're going to extend just because I think he's going to bet on himself. And um, with his injury history, I just don't think he's going to get the number he's looking for. This is pure speculation based on my own feeling, but like Marcus is like much more of an interesting situation because he's already had one contract but kind of took I don't think it's like less than but it was a kind of a mid-tier contract I guess it's interesting is like what is Marcus Smart looking for 
would he take a bit of a discount to like try to get those years and then also put the Celtics in position for winning? Is he just looking to get as much money as possible? Because if he's looking for, I don't know his value, but if it's, if Fournier is getting $15 million a year, I would have to think Marcus Smart somewhere in that range. Are you going to commit to like four years for $60 million and then possibly jeopardize a chance to sign Jokic or a chance to sign Joel Embiid? I think it's a very difficult decision for Brad Stevens to make for this offseason. Yeah, but it could be a little different with Smart and Williams because they're both young enough that like four years from now, they should still have plenty of value. Like if, if you need to move them at some point, you should be able to unless something drastically bad happens. Um, I guess that's probably more likely with, with Robert Williams just based on injury history and stuff like that. But Marcus Smart, like he's been a consistently great defender, a consistently, like I think, helpful offensive player, even though obviously there are some shooting issues and shot selection issues at times. Um, but like they're young enough, whereas, you know, Fournier is a little older. Like if 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 his next contract goes a little sour, then then that could get a little murkier to, to trade him. I guess he's not that much older than Marcus Smart, though. Um, and if he does sign a three-year contract, it would bring him to like 31. So yeah, like you just got to be able to move the contract. It's not necessarily like have a totally free cap until then. It's just like, as long as your contracts have value and, and you can get off them, then, then that works too. That's a very good point is where it's like a team, maybe two years from now, trying to contend for a championship might want to add a Marcus Smart just to their playoff run or Rob Williams. We have no idea what he's going to be and if he's able to stay healthy. He could be amazing or he could just be like the guy who's overpaid. That's why I just think like with his injury history, it just seems less likely that he'll get a longer deal. I feel like he still has another year to prove it. Now, Jay, you said you didn't want to talk about this man, um, but I feel like we have to because we have not talked about the one addition to, or possible addition to the Celtics roster that we do know about. Um, I don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, Yam, Yam Mer- Madar. Yam Madar playing in summer league, coming over from Israel. You talked to people close to him. You learned all about Yam. I'm, people are clamoring for me to change my name to Yam. Um, what can you tell me about the uh, Israeli forward? He's a guard, first of all. Well, that's um, a good start. That's <laughs> And a point guard, no less. He is just a bold, bold player. Uh, kind of someone who plays with a lot of confidence, a lot of brashness, a lot of pizzazz, if you Ooh, will. Razzmatazz, um, even. Yeah, I spoke to John Diebler, one of his teammates, and and former teammate, I believe, of Evan Turner at Ohio State. Ohio State, great. Um we shared some some Evan Turner stories during the phone conversation. It was glorious. Um, but Diebler kind of said, like, the moment was never too big for him. He plays with a lot of confidence. Um, but it's not like – he said it's not a cockiness. It's just like he puts in a lot of work and and thinks good things will happen to him and kind of just is, is pretty – you know, he has a belief in himself. And I think that's a very good thing for a young guy. Um, he, he plays with a lot of energy. He has a, a big reputation as a competitor, which I think the Celtics really appreciate in, in prospects. Um, 
And then his three-point shot has really developed. The That was the biggest knock on him when the Celtics drafted him. And then he shot, I think it was 41% this past season in Israel, taking some pretty difficult attempts. Um, so the strides he's shown there, he's a great free-throw shooter too, suggest that there's another level to unlock there. And if he becomes that type of of you know, dangerous scoring point guard. He's definitely athletic. Like he can, he can definitely break guys down and, and get to a spot. Then he's an interesting prospect at the very least. And, and maybe he will end up a good player. Who knows? Is he going to definitely come over? Aren't there still questions about whether or not he like joins the Celtics or remains in yeah, Israel for another year? From what I know, from what I've been told, there are still questions about all of that. Um, it can be complicated with, you know, draft and stash guys overseas because there are a lot of different dynamics from the buyout of a contract to what offers are coming in from overseas. Like what are their options over there to how badly does the agent and the player want him to be in the NBA? Um, so I, th- I think in a, in a lot of cases from a team perspective, when you have a young guy, no matter how promising that young guy is, at age 20, 21, whatever, I think a lot of times the teams would rather have that guy continue to play overseas, as weird as that sounds, because then someone else is paying them to continue to develop, and the rookie contract doesn't start until that player eventually comes to the NBA. So so from a team perspective, like as backward as that sounds, um, it can be sort of like, in the MLB when like they keep a great prospect in triple a because they don't want to start his clock or whatever it's called. Um, I think NBA teams are often like that, but I think the last time they had a draft and stash candidate was Zizic and Yabuselli. And both those guys, I believe played just one season overseas before eventually joining the Celtics. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens with Madar. There's still a lot to figure out with the Celtics roster, a lot for them to figure out, um, a lot for Madar to figure out, but he will be playing for the Celtics in Summer League, so that should be fun. It's going to be Yam Mania. It's going to Summer League. People are going to be ready to get excited. I, uh, do we know who else is playing? I would assume it's like all the rookies from last year, Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Neesmith. Um, do we know if any of the – like if Romeo is going to be playing at this point or someone I like Tremont or I Taco? think Moses Brown will play. Um, I wouldn't I keep be forgetting surprised. that he's on the team. I've just I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if um Romeo and Tremont play at least a little bit. Like a lot of times a guy going into their third year, like they'll play on the team and just play a certain number of games. Um I think even Jalen Brown played in his third year, if I'm not mistaken. I think like I one could, or two games. I could be wrong on that, yeah. Um so you know, maybe maybe Grant Williams does. I, I'm I'm not really sure about the more veteran guys and and whether they'll play, but I think you'll definitely see Pritchard and Neesmith and Madar and Moses Brown and whoever the Celtics pick in the second round. Yeah, I know. I saw you wrote an article about uh, Celtics Did you read potential it? targets at uh, what was it at number forty five. Did you read it? I can't say that I did. I can't say that That's the number up, 45 man. is the um, uh, like a big uh, clickbait headline. But tell me, tell me potential Celtics second round targets at 45. Who's who are you really looking at? My favorite second round prospect is Herbert Jones. He is 
a total non-shooter. Like, could not be more <laughs> of a non-shooter. But he's also 6'8", with super long arms, was the SEC Defensive Player of the Year, can really guard any number of positions, and played sort of like a point-forward role in Ooh, college. So he's like, Ben Simmons 2.0. He's, he's a very good passer. I mean, he's not nearly as as talented as Ben Simmons, but he does a, a lot of those things, and it's going to be strange to fit him in. There's a chance that he's like a total zero offensively just because he can't shoot at all or has never shown the ability to shoot at all in the past, but I just think he does so many other things that are probably being undervalued right now because of his shooting. So I'm a big Herbert Jones guy. He he led his college team in rebounding, steals, blocks, assists, charges taken, deflections, and floor dives. I didn't know they tracked floor dives. They, they do over there. So I'm a big Herbert Jones guy. Um is there Alabama done. record for charges drawn in a single season 23? That's impressive. I don't know how true this is, but someone told me he set that through two years. So after his sophomore season, he had already eclipsed the previous record holder in that stat. He also had a game where he his shooting hand was, I believe, broken. It, like he had a broken wrist, but came back and played. And he shot free throws with his offhand and made them both, and had so seventeen re- and had seventeen rebounds that game. Well, so not, not really like able ben to Simmons. use his dominant hand. He's not like Ben Simmons at all because he's willing to switch hands after some adversity. But I'm liking it. I don't want to. I don't want to ask you about any prospects. We're we're targeting. We're locked in on Herbert Jones at the 45th pick. I'm it's Herbert big, Jones or bust. Big Herbert Jones guy. The other ones. They're all like kind of quirky in their own way because second round prospects, like for the most part, have flaws that force them into the second round. I'm a big Raekwon Gray guy. Florida State, sort of power forward, but he's he's also like a point guard. He's 270 pounds. My brothers liken him to like a far more human Zion Williamson. Like <laughs> Like he's he's that kind of strong. He's extremely gifted athletically, but nowhere near Zion for someone someone that size. And Florida State just kind of gave him the ball and let him create stuff. And it was an extreme mismatch. I think if he has the right coach, like he could be pretty good in the NBA. Um, but it could come down to his coaching because he's definitely not like like most players. Like he really is a six eight, two hundred seventy pound point guard sort of um, that's kind of wild yeah yeah so so he he's a fun prospect and then i think with his physicality, i should have read this article man you, you're coming with some uh some dynamic players here yeah yeah they're weird <laughs> players but dynamic players um and so gray he's also on the older side just like jones is and guy guys that are old in the draft these days kind of get written off um but he shed some weight and got in better conditioning. And so, as my friend Ethan Sherwood Strauss likes to say, overweight can be potential in disguise. Ooh. Nikola Jokic was overweight at one point in time, got, then got in best shape of his life. Potential in disguise. Um, 
One time so, yeah, I met he, Ethan, Ethan Strauss, and I said I hosted a podcast with you, and he described you as the most East Coast person he's ever met. Yeah, he likes to say that. <laughs> I don't know what exactly that means, but I, I, I think it, was it a means I'm brash and come across as very egotistical. Yes, yes, it sounds about right. And swear a lot. I'm yeah. big on saying motherfuckers and whatnot. Um I mean, he is a, a very good writer, Ethan Sherwood's house, and knows how to use a, an adjective here or there and good at describing things. So um, I think that's an apt description. Before we go, I have to talk about game four of the NBA Finals last night. That Giannis block was absolutely insane. My jaw dropped. I don't know how the Bucks like managed to have the fourth quarter they did. Well, they because uh, – no one on the Suns other than Devin Booker couldn't score, but I'm just very happy we have a series. But my God, that Giannis uh, block was insane. Like I can watch clips of that all day. Just nuts. Absolutely nuts. I gasped. I was in bed watching and gasped. And like, holy hell, how did he recover? It was actually bad timing for me because I had just last week argued with my brothers that nobody outside of LeBron could have made his block of Andre Iguodala in 2016. And then Giannis goes and does that. And, and suddenly I'm not going to say LeBron's block looked human, but it looked slightly less inhuman after seeing Giannis do that. Like that was, that's up there among the greatest blocks of all time, given the time and circumstance given that it happened in the NBA Finals, given that he was going up to contest DeAndre Ayton, who himself is a freak of nature. Just an absurd recovery. Um, the other part that I thought kind of got overlooked, Giannis's passing was so good, especially in the fourth quarter of that game. He, like, he was – they were overhelping like crazy, and he was just calmly passing it to teammates, and they missed time and time again – but finally, he found Pat Connaughton in the corner, and Connaughton hit one to put them ahead, and then Chris Middleton kind of took them home. This is a fun series. I'm it's- so glad the Bucks won because I want, like, I need this series to go seven. And the Bucks like, kind of figured things out. We're, like, going small, kind of playing Giannis Portis, uh, that smaller lineup. Giannis, like, didn't have a great scoring game. It didn't really shoot in the first quarter. Um, it was just – like, he had to go take a tinkle. Oh, is that what it is? I felt like it's weird. Well, like he's been like he got checked subbed out, out every- early, and I think he said he had to take a tinkle. It, he's been checked like subbed out early in the past couple of games, but like the game three, it was just because he like looked tired. But that's uh, he had to take a tinkle. He wasn't tired. Well, who knows? Had to urinate. Sometimes you got to urinate. But we haven't even talked about Devin Booker and Chris Middleton dropping forty in that game. It was just a like. I think I saw as the first time in the NBA Finals, three different players have scored 40 points. Like, I don't know what I was expecting from this series, but it's been a whole lot of fun, especially that game last night was like the first, like, very close game. And the other thing that was just absurd was Devin Booker not being called for his sixth foul when he basically clobbered uh, Drew Holiday. You know what's crazy? When it happened in real time, I was like, that's clean. That's clean. <laughs> no, I was like, that's a foul. Because his hand on the ball was actually clean. Um, and then they showed the replay. I was like, yeah, well, he sort of tackled him and probably should have been called for a sixth foul there. But when it happened, I was like, great, great no call. Great no call. 
Well, Devin Booker, after having his arm like fully wrapped around him, then he, because he got all ball with his hand, was like, was calling for a jump ball. Uh, absolutely wild for that just not to be. I think he committed another foul after that. Uh, but Booker was the only player really on the Suns who could score. And he just kind of had, after a 10 point performance in game three, was just absolutely unstoppable. And if he doesn't get in foul trouble there, I think the Suns probably win that game just because they have a little bit more scoring in the fourth quarter. I think they only scored 19 points uh, after, and they were up big. If they just get a little bit more scoring, uh, they probably figure that out. Like, I just don't know what's happening with Chris Paul. Like, I don't know why he's no longer good after having like a pretty good first uh, couple of games of this series. Yeah. He's, he's been like suspect in weird ways. Like you'd never expect Chris Paul to turn the ball over. He has been historically one of the very best at taking care of the ball throughout his basically his entire career, probably his entire career. Um, so the, the turnover problem is just strange. Just not something I anticipated at all. And then um, I'm, I'm looking at the, the box score right now. Like Booker played 39 minutes. So, Foul trouble probably kept him off the court for a couple minutes, but I, I don't think it really impacted him too much. It wasn't like the game before where, where they like benched Aiton for a long time and and then Milwaukee went on a crazy run. Like by the time Booker came back in, they were still up like what seven, nine, yeah. something close to that. So yeah, but and then then you think back to like the foul when he Giannis was going in for what would have been a dunk and he and Booker fouled him. He took some dumb fouls when he fouled PJ Tucker with like the body on a rebound. I think PJ Tucker flopped a little bit, but PJ Tucker definitely, that was like a Marcus smart level flop. It was a I very like smart, but flop. it was also probably a foul. It was just like unnecessary from Devin Booker. And he can't be taking like those fouls. If he like, yeah, is going to be the foul trouble. Yeah. And so it's interesting. Like what's going to happen is like, can CP, three come back and like dribble the basketball. Like he had, like he's known for his handles. He's literally called the point God. Um, and then we knew Middleton was going to go off like at some point, cause he's done it. Like that's what he does, but he doesn't do it consistently. So it's like, does Middleton have another one of those games in him? He did shoot the ball 33 times, but it's like very interesting to see where the, the offense is going to come from the bucks in the half court. And so when Middleton's knocking down shots, they have a chance, but um, when he's not like the bucks half court offense does, does not look great. I'm looking forward to the series. It's going to be uh, – I think it's going seven. I think it has to. It was also crazy to me. The Suns only took 23 threes. I think I saw something, and they, they didn't take many – And they didn't take many layups or the restricted area. Like I think it was like 53% of their shots came from the mid-range, which is – I know that's their thing is like Chris Paul and Devin Booker, but you got to get easier uh, baskets or just open threes and – like it's something they did pretty well in the first two games. I don't know if it's like just the classic. I was actually talking about this uh, recently. You know the cliche like role players play better at home. Yeah, I hate that comment. I can't. I like someone's like explained it to me, and I was just like, well, they they feel better. They're more comfortable. Like none of my explanations made like sense. But like Mikael Bridgers plays much better at home, at least in this series. Uh, Mikael was three for four, for six points. Like they didn't knock down any threes. One for two. He only took two. What's he supposed to do with two shots? Get open? I don't know. I mean, all I know is that it's just – it's been a revelation, and I've just been very 
excited to see Jeff T getting 11 minutes a game in the finals. I did not think that was going to happen, but we have finals Teague, the most powerful Teague. Not really doing much, kind of kind of doing a little bit too much sometimes, but uh, apparently he's more trusted than Bryn Forbes. It's also kind of wild to me how much we like debate the Celtics um, like rotation all year and like, oh, the rotation is like, when it comes down to the playoffs, it's your top seven guys. And so That's it's it. like, it's That's like it. pretty much, it's like maybe you have an eighth guy, but it's like we to spend all year being like, oh man, they got to fix this rotation for guys nine through nine, eight, nine, ten. It's like, really it doesn't matter you need to have your top seven it's why i was very irrational in talking myself into the celtics chances last year because their top seven was never really healthy but it's just like playoff basketball is so different where it is like your top guys are going 40 plus and then you need to have like two or three solid bench players and it feels like that's what the bucks have they have their starters and then they can have portis Connaughton, and uh I forget, not Teague. Definitely not Teague is the guy I wanted to mention, but they feel like they have a, a third guy come off the bench there. That's all you really need. And so it feels like it's the Celtics. just Portis and Connaughton at this point. That's it. But I think it's like a good sign for the Celtics where it's like we're talking about this backup point guard thing where it's like they should have, if they re-sign Fournier, they should have their top seven already in place. Like then it's like bits and pieces, like maybe Romeo or Neesmith steps up, but like the core of the team is essentially there, the team that would like, take you somewhere in the playoffs is already there. It's really just like nibbling around the edges uh, to try and improve and get like, I guess more regular season wins. And also to, to develop those young guys. So they can eventually be a top seven person. to eventually be in the top seven. Or like if, if Neesmith does play like for those minutes to be better or, and, and honestly, like their top guys have to get better. Like they are not at the level that like Giannis and Chris Middleton are, are playing together like they're just not and so tatum and brown need to get better and like like for them to be championship contenders obviously they're really good already obviously they're all stars but but there's a level that you have to reach to really give your team a chance to to win big things in, in the finals and i don't think these two teams are the two best teams in the nba like the you're gonna have to beat the nets you're gonna have to beat if the Lakers are healthy and add a, a playmaker, you're gonna have to beat the Lakers. You're gonna have to beat like like teams that are probably better than than both the Suns and Bucks, or at least one of them. I mean, that's what's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see if the, the Celtics can put together like that talent or Jason. It's really like comes down to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown like continuing to take the step. Um one last thing I wanted to bring up was that uh your, your boy Mike Pina tweeted out, uh, he's apparently uh, MVP odds for next season. Jason Tatum's at 25 to 1. Let's go out here on some rampant speculation. What are the chances Jason Tatum wins the MVP next season? What needs to happen for so, Jason Tatum to win the MVP? So I, I won't throw under the bus who texted that to me, um, but someone texted that to me like, this is a crazy take by Pina. And, and I, I replied, I really don't think it is. Like, Jason Tatum probably will not win him. Like there is a great chance that Jason Tatum does not win MVP next year. But I was looking at the odds of, of the other guys for MVP in in those odds. And, and one of them was Trey young at 14 to one. One of them was Devin Booker at 20 to one. Russell Westbrook at 25 to 1 has the same odds as Tatum, which is insane. 
Yeah, so when you look at it like that, like eh, could be a pretty good long shot bet because Tatum could average what? Like it's not unrealistic at all. Kind of reasonable to think he'll average like 28, 7, and 5, something along those lines. And if he eclipses that, like he was at 26 and a half, 7, and 4 and a half this past year and had a month where he was feeling the effects from COVID and just wasn't as good. If he can eclipse that a little bit, like, and the Celtics have like the 76ers turnaround where they're a mess one year and come back and they're first or second in the East, then I think he'll have a compelling case as long as nobody goes nuclear. Like, yeah. And they and have that narrative. like Luka Doncic could go look nuclear. Like Giannis could win the title. And then people are like, Oh yeah, Giannis is the best player in the world. Let's, Let's rethink about him as the MVP and and not just kind of disqualify him because he didn't have playoff success before. It's um, all about expectations. And so as long as like the Celtics are not going to have uh, like championship expectations or even top of the East expectations on them next year, I think they have the potential to do that. And Jason Tatum, like averaging 30 points a game, I think he's especially capable of. Uh, and so like – that the point of uh, I think Pina's tweet is that like not that he thinks Jason Tatum's going to be the MVP, that if you can get twenty five times your money you put down to bet on him, like that's pretty good odds. It just like it, it's it's not the worst bet that I've ever seen. No, it, it's it would be. But it, he, I mean, he, he won't win MVP. Like I'm pretty com- confident saying that he will not win MVP. But if you want to bet on him twenty five to one, like it, it almost makes sense. If you had to bet on one player winning the MVP next year, who would it be? It would probably be Harden at 20 to 1. But that's just because of the, the odds, or you think he's actually going to win? Because I think Kevin Durant's going to win. Kevin Durant's very I good think at I, That's because of the odds. Like 20 to 1 for Harden, who would have been in the MVP com- conversation this past year if he just stayed healthy. Um, I think those are very good odds. I would uh, generally agree, but um, we'll figure that or out. Anthony Davis, twenty-eight to one. He's not going to win on a. He's never going to win an MVP with LeBron James on LeBron his team. LeBron could be hurt. I'm just saying, it's a bad bet. A bad bet. All right, we'll leave it here. I did want to mention um, Ben Simmons, we, eighty to one. We got some uh, great picks of Al Horford grilling in the off season. Um, uh, so Jay is Al Horford looking like the first time he's ever used a grill. Is that potable? Hold on. I actually have thoughts. I actually oh. have thoughts. Oh, good thing. I was about to pull the trigger there. but you I'm just actually- saying, it, it just looks like it's very uncomfortable to do normal things when you're six foot ten. <laughs> yes, the, the like bending he, he, over. He's leaning over like in a position. Like it would hurt my back to, to lean over as far as he has to just to turn on his fucking grill. And so that's that's like the first time I've been happy that I'm not six foot ten. Yeah, no, they should have been like built a special big man grill for Al Horford because he just doesn't look that comfortable. Yeah. Can, can someone put his right grill now? on stilts for fuck's sake? <laughs> we need to get uh, Al Horford a big man grill. Um, but I would say that the Al Horford big man grill is potable. Do you agree? I ruined your joke, <laughs> baby. I ruined it. Oh!